Welcome back to They Talk Sex podcast. I'm your host, Elle Stanger. This is the disability and sexuality episode. We're going to talk a little bit about sex work with our guest, Catherine Harlow. Uh, are you okay with me saying your name? Yeah, of course. Okay. <laughs> Although I have many aliases, so. <laughs> oh, ooh, we can get into that too. For sure. You will learn more about uh, the Park Avenue pinup her website and go there check her out theparkavenuepinup.com and on instagram at the park avenue pinup uh, you have lost your previous account you said yes unfortunately i dealt with some censorship i think i had about a community of like ten thousand people about like burlesque mm. and like fetish and pinup and all that stuff and I guess it was just and disability. Yeah, and disability and and talking about sex and disability and um pelvic health and all that stuff and Meta wasn't happy about it. It's interesting you you immediately named it as resource and community of 10,000 people and I really want to highlight that because I ask almost or maybe every guest now that I reflect on it um if they've had their stuff taken down. And it's really interesting to see who has and who hasn't. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> right. We're talking about disability and sexuality today and also a little bit about sex work. So can you explain what your current health status is or what issues or complications you live with? And please feel free to correct my language because I'm not uh, a person with lived experience or much expertise in disability. Yeah, I appreciate it. Disclaimer, uh, Catherine says she's speaking, obviously, just to her experience, and she doesn't speak for the entire community. Right. Um, I think the primary thing I struggle with is I have really severe endometriosis, and I have something uh, called pelvic floor disorder, which is comorbid. I think about 30% of people with endometriosis have pelvic floor disorder dysfunction. Um, and oh, wow. a lot of chronic illnesses are what they call comorbid, which means that they naturally occur together in groups. Thank you. So if you ever see, um, you know, a very silly criticism leveled against chronically ill people is, oh, it seems like they enjoy collecting diagnoses, but they just they just happen together in nature. Oh, wow. So I wow. also have PTSD. I'm autistic. Um, and I just got diagnosed with narcolepsy. So I have sleep sleep issues as well and there's a lot of crossover between a lot of the symptoms and that's why it can mm. sometimes take some time to figure out what is what what is coming from what um symptom wise mm. okay so what does your daily life look like and how does that relate to the work that you do um i struggle a lot with chronic pain and mobility issues most of my endometriosis pain is in my hips and down my legs. Mm. Um, your feet are also an area of the body that's very high impact to like your pelvic floor. And your core does a lot um, to sort of keep you up and stuff, but your pelvic floor is pretty central to your body in, in ways that people don't always notice. And you're a dancer too. Yes. <laughs> oh, God. Do you feel like that helps yeah. or complicates it? I guess it depends on the shoes you're wearing and how you're dancing. Yeah, it's interesting. So a big reason I started talking about disability was just, um, you know, doing burlesque work and deciding to become a showgirl and then realizing the certain ways that I might need to accommodate myself. So 
Even though I wear Louboutins when I dance, I can only dance in shoes that are like three inches or shorter. Mm. Um, I try to make sure they have a nice arch so that my foot isn't in too much pain. Mm-hmm. And uh, I always try to stretch beforehand. Mm-hmm. You know, from physical therapy, they teach you some stretches that are good for your your pelvic floor mm-hmm. and your pelvic bowl and everything that can help with uh, movement and flexibility. Mm-hmm. I don't live with the health issues that you do, mm-hmm. but I know how much my body hurts and my spine feels shorter and I get a headache yeah. just from wearing heels, yeah. <laughs> just from dancing in heels. Like, for sure. And, oh, my, you know, like feet, like bones, like deform. Like we really like it's a lot of wear and tear in our bodies. Just like muscles are so much more connected yeah. than we think. Like 70 percent mm-hmm. of people who have pelvic floor dysfunction also have TMJ. So you wouldn't think that um TMJ. Yeah, and your jaw. I've known a few people that have had that. Um I'm actually afraid it runs in my family. What does it stand for again? Do you remember? I don't remember, but let me do a quick Let's search. Look it up. Ooh. Temporomandibular joint disorder. So it says it looks like pain Arcan- and movement with the joint in your jaw. So people are sometimes confused how their pelvic floor could affect the muscles in their face, but all the muscular systems are so interconnected that you can work on your pelvic floor to work on things like that, which is so interesting. Yeah. (laughs) I got to tell my family member this. Yeah. And everyone has a pelvic floor regardless of like their gender. Mm -hmm. Um, Men can have pelvic pain. Mm Mm-hmm. And there are different classifications. Uh, most people have a normal, stable pelvic floor. Uh, some people have underactive pelvic floor muscles, sometimes after you have a baby. Hmm. And sometimes people have overactive pelvic floor muscles, which I have, which just makes it hard to relax and walk and, you know, do stairs and do squats and bending over and stuff like that. So, Wow, I'm learning a lot. Yeah, um, but you asked me about my day-to-day life. Um, I think the other symptoms I have besides pain and issues with mobility is um, I deal with nausea. I deal with, like, feeling averse to food with my endometriosis. Um, I deal with migraines. Mm. Um, And then sometimes I have PTSD symptoms or I'm not sleeping well. I have a lot of chronic nightmares with narcolepsy. So with my day-to-day life, I've made a lot of lifestyle changes to accommodate myself. Mm -hmm. Um, I usually need to sleep 10 hours, Mm -hmm. and I try to let myself do that without feeling indulgent or taking in other people's criticism about it. Mm. Mm. And um, just eating foods that make me feel good and being honest with myself about which comfort foods might actually be flare foods. Yeah. Yes. And you know, not not being too rigid about it and letting myself have a treat once in a while to like maintain a healthy relationship with eating and all that kind of stuff. Mm. But um I had surgery in 2019, so I have a bit a few more usable hours in my day. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, so I'd say that I start my day around like noon. Um, I'm usually home from 
you know, working or doing gigs out or rehearsing at like six or seven. And uh, I usually just get in bed early and just try to start relaxing so I can mm-hmm. go to sleep and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. um, being a freelancer kind of means that every day is a little different. Sometimes I have a show. Sometimes I'm doing sessions with other like sex work type clients. Um, sometimes I'm rehearsing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm doing a lot of costuming right now, which is really fun. That's right. You also make costuming things. Yes. Uh, yes. Corsets, sparkly things. sparkly things. Yes. Yes. That's my favorite part of it. The dazzling, but for grownups. Yes, totally. Yeah. I remember being a little girl and being like, I want to do dress up for a living. And somehow <laughs> oh. I figured out how to make that work. <laughs> That's wonderful. No little girl ever dreams of growing up to be a whore. It's so funny. I had a conversation about that on Twitter where oh, really? I, I asked some of my colleagues, like, did, did you, you want, want to be, be a sex worker yeah. when you were younger and why and what inspired you? And for a lot of people, it was like classics, like Playboy Playmates. Some people knew about Betty Page and they're interested in pinups and... Hmm showgirls and how they all had uh these very unique personalities that drew people to them Hmm. and yeah more people than you think have been inspired by people in the sex industry Mm. this makes sense to me why some people are pro abolition when they just like hate us that much because i've heard the or i read a swerf argument where uh the woman was saying she was like very deeply religious and very anti-porn. And uh, Mm -hmm. she was saying that magazines like Playboy um, legitimized and made these women more respectable as if they could be the girl next door. Um, And I'm like, well, but we are, we're like, we literally like we live places. We do exist, you know? So (laughs) she's human being. Right. She was like mad that we were existing. And so, yeah, it's, yeah. So, wow. Yeah, swerf arguments are always like you have to take a second and be like, well, I guess we have to unpack all of that. That's a lot. That's a lot. <laughs> I need multiple <laughs> seconds for this. Hold on. Um, so what, okay, so what I'm hearing is it seems like your day-to-day takes more time and intentional planning. Right, and patience with myself and mm. not getting disappointed if I have to reschedule or mm-hmm. do a rain check with something. Mm. Well, thanks for being flexible with me. <laughs> yeah, of course. Thank you for having me. Oh, yeah. No, I'm having a great time. Yeah, me too. Good. So can we ask, how does your health relate to your sexuality? So a lot of people uh, have this misunderstanding that endometriosis is like a bad period. It's like a menstrual illness that only affects you around the time that you're menstruating and it only happens to women. And that's not accurate. Although it's not people's fault for thinking that because doctors who should know better are circulating misinformation. Mm. But endometriosis is essentially a whole body inflammatory illness where cells that are similar to the cells in the uterine lining grow basically all over the body. Mm -hmm. Uh, Endometriosis has been found on every organ in the body, which includes like the brain, the diaphragm. Oh, wow. 
And yeah, there's a lot of uh, push within the community to educate surgeons on extra pelvic or outside of the pelvis endometriosis. Mm-hmm. There's some evidence that people are born with it, and we actually have evidence that cis men have been born with endometriosis. Really? Yeah, and then there's some evidence that trans women, 25% of trans women, have pelvic pain, and we're not sure where not sure this why. pain is coming from. Mm. So there's a lot that we that we don't know about mm. about illnesses like this that are similar to this. Mm-hmm. So much to explore. Yeah, it really sucks too because it's like so easy to be horrified when you learn things that they will use typically just white cis men for every study, including ones that are done for female bodies. <laughs> right. And I learned a few years ago that people who are assigned female at birth, essentially the thinking in like the 70s or the 80s were that uh, bodies that were assigned female at birth were just bodies uh, assigned male at birth with reproductive anatomy. Oh, God. So like clinical trials with medication usually only happen on people who are assigned male at birth mm-hmm. right because there's like um, oh there's there couldn't possibly be a difference yeah so we need to be doing um clinical trials with like everybody and right. seeing uh the data and how it affects different people but for me um my endometriosis and my pelvic floor dysfunction affect my sex life uh, like pretty considerably mm. The old term that's out of use is um, vaginismus, mm. which means that like people have difficulty with penetration. Mm-hmm. They have really considerable uh, pain during sex. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, sex is not supposed to be a painful experience, despite um, like the socialization we get that like Mm -hmm. having sex for the first time is painful Mm -hmm. or that things are supposed to be painful or doctors telling you to like relax Mm -hmm. as if we haven't been trying or telling us to have a glass of wine or something that's not super helpful what helped me is pelvic floor physical therapy Mm. so you can use dilators you can use something called a pelvic wand where it's a tool that helps you press on an internal muscle and you're basically just retraining your brain to not panic and send pain signals when mm. you're touching the um that trigger point on your muscle. Mm. A lot of like, and this is not to say that pain is in people's heads, but a lot of uh, strategy around chronic pain is uh, teaching the brain to not panic and send more pain Mm. signals than is necessary. Mm. Hmm. Um, So, yeah, I struggle a lot with with pain during sex, definitely before I got a diagnosis and became more educated about these things. Mm -hmm. Um, But also, this is not really something that doctors are comfortable talking about. (laughs) Yeah, unfortunately so. Doctors also, because they grew up in the same sex-negative societies as we did, it turns out a lot of doctors just aren't grown enough to talk about this stuff with their patients so they don't even ask 
And my friend made a joke to me that doctors spend so much time in medical school and residencies, they don't always have time to have (laughs) relationships or sex lives of their own. So when you're asking them somewhat uncomfortable questions, I mean, I remember after I had my first surgery, I had to ask my doctor if I could do like a shibari rope suspension session how long should i wait afterwards and oh. i can definitely tell he's never gotten a question like that he's before. like i have no idea <laughs> what did he say uh he told me to wait about six months um for the surgery for everything to heal up okay um, unfortunately the surgery gives you a little bit more tension in your pelvic area so it's better to start physical therapy afterwards mm-hmm Um, but for me, it was pain with sex. I had muscular pain. I had muscle spasms. You say had. I had. Is it better now? Yeah, so I know a lot more than I did now. Uh, a big tool that I use to manage my pain is cannabis, Mm. which I used to be really afraid of, and Mm. I'm glad that I have learned more about. Oh, good. And also the fact that Some illnesses don't have a cure, but you can definitely have a treatment plan of like exercises and medications Mm -hmm. and other lifestyle changes you can make that that help with the symptoms. Mm -hmm. So I take some painkillers, some muscle relaxers, and you have to be very careful about how you take them. (laughs) Yeah, sounds like it. But there's definitely things to do. Uh, to help if you experience any of any of these symptoms you're naming a lot of tools and resources so yeah Yeah. I mean I still deal with this stuff sometimes but I think I have a better sense of what I can do to help Mm -hmm. that totally makes sense I want to go back really quick um I was unaware that there was anything wrong with the term vaginismus or could you explain that it's not that there's anything wrong with it. It's just that the science has revealed that vaginismus is just a symptom of larger pelvic floor dysfunction. Mm. So vaginismus is a symptom of overactive pelvic floor muscles that cannot relax on command when you want them to. You can't get them to contract and things like that. So, um, you know, people people with vaginas Mm -hmm. their vagina will expand as they relax Mm -hmm. and people who have endo and people who have pft that doesn't always happen Mm -hmm. okay um or it's more of a manual process yeah 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 uh before which just requires like patience and all that kind of stuff right before so when i was pregnant i had really great care i had a midwife and her two doulas and then I had a medical doctor who also was pregnant and uh and she knew I was a stripper she was not a stripper but she had started taking some pole some aerial right before so like she had an appreciation and some understanding of the body uh stuff at at play yeah so I was very Mm -hmm. very taken care of and I don't I feel like this was something my midwife said I I don't know, actually. Anyway, they were both very proactive. And one of somebody recommended to me that I could start basically like prepping my vagina for giving birth vaginally by like stretching the skin there. And it's like, well, how do you do that? Mm -hmm. Well, a perineum massage, which I mean, you're Mm -hmm. basically being fingered or like dilated. Like my husband at the time was like, cool, I'll, I'll 
yeah. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, sure. Um, and I used my big vibrator and like, but it was a process. And then I ended up, she was a 10 pound baby that got stuck and I had C-section oh, no. anyway after 67 hours in labor. I will always tell that anecdote. Um, this is bird. This right? is bird. Yeah. This is the one and only yeah. bird. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so that's, there's so many like reasons to dilate because skin stretches and the, the logic behind that was like, you stretch it so that you don't tear. And then over time it stretches back, maybe not all the way, but, um, I'm very happy with my results. Yeah. And muscles too. Right. And I'm actually glad that you brought that up because, um, something people can deal with who have disability, uh, their disability gets in the way of their sex life, you can start to feel like very medicalized as a disabled person. Mm. So sometimes it's like refreshing and great to like sexualize your treatment. Mm. <laughs> you know, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's like, Cause like in, in my personal life, my big fetish is like um, being treated like a living doll or like a porcelain doll. Oh my God. So, Dainty. you know, yeah so like when you have to do stuff like dilating and you feel overly medicalized and it's really invasive and all that stuff you can bring your partner to your appointments um have the doctor explain it to them and then incorporate it into play which is the great thing about queer sex because it's not super prescriptive and it's there's more room for exploration and for um just trying new things i love that oh that's delightful so yeah I asked my followers on Instagram, what do you wish people knew about your invisible disability? So invisible means like to look at someone you might not know. So you think of the, you know, a lot of people hear the word disabled and they're like wheelchair. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Which is important too. And that's a whole other discussion with a different guest on a different episode for sure. So the question is, what do you wish people knew about your invisible disability? So I'll read you react. This is from other folks. Mm-hmm. Someone says, it costs me so much time, money, and pain to man- manage. It's exhausting and isolating. Yeah, that brings up for me something uh, that a disabled creator on Instagram named Mary, who is at Invalid Art, mm. she talks about the admin drain of being disabled and how you sort of have to on top of going to school or working or whatever you're doing in your life, you have to double check your doctor's work and make sure your prescriptions arrive and Mm. call about your appointment. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's a lot of administrative labor to be chronically ill, which I don't think a lot of people realize. It's like, if you have a sort of energy deficit, you're already working with, uh, like not mm-hmm. a lot of energy to begin with. So yeah, it is a lot of work. Mm-hmm. I've said in the last few years that there should be paid roles that exist that are facilitators for stuff like this. Like Yeah, sort of like a like a patient advocate, but maybe yeah. a little bit more intimate where you can talk to them about your feelings and your life. Yeah. Are you eating? Do you need um that's kind of what my current uh, boyfriend does as like a peer support specialist for people with drug addiction or um yeah that's great issues. yeah so like and and it's like I mean I don't see him working but he'll like take them for a walk in the park you know or like yeah that's nice and there's so much like watch their dog yeah everyday things because it can be a struggle to you know eat wash up all that kind of stuff the mm-hmm. small tasks become intimidating sometimes mm-hmm, totally 
So, uh, listener feedback. What do you wish people knew about your invisible disability? Someone says that intimacy is difficult because of RSD. I don't know what that means. I it, think it's like rejection sensitive dysphoria. dysphoria. Oh. That like, uh, what is it? Neurodivergent people experience sometimes really intense feelings around rejection and things like that. Mm. Oh, yeah. I was reading about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. Uh, they say it makes pre-care and aftercare vital for my mental health. Yeah. Someone says that uh, depression is their invisible disability, and mm. they want people to understand that not being attached to being alive is not the same as wanting to die. That's interesting. That really makes me think the way that they phrased it. That's That makes me sad because it sounds like a very intense depression and mm-hmm. longing for death, which I experienced when I lived with my partner who died by suicide. So. Yeah. Ugh, best wishes to this person. And I agree. Yeah. A lot of people make jokes about like, you know, existence and I get it. And that's a mm. thing that humankind apparently has dealt with since we had awareness. So I try to like <laughs> keep myself in check. I'm like, it's a struggle. It's always been a struggle. Yeah, I didn't ask really for this. In Nobody late capitalism. That's for this. <laughs> fall of fall of the America in which I live. It's gonna be a mess. Um Yeah. <laughs> I'm stocking up water now. Anyway. Um, okay, before I get off track too much longer, uh, someone says that vaping around other people without asking is ableist. They said they have COPD and asthma. Yeah, I guess so. I always try to be mindful about where I'm smoking and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, There are disabled people, you know, especially during COVID have like sensitivities with their lungs and all that kind of stuff. And some people can't be around fragrances or any type of Mm. really strong kind of smells or someone says that it fucking exists and that it's as valid as any visible disability yes oh my gosh (laughs) you know my friend has a joke that like most of your body is on the inside Mm. (laughs) so yeah and like how can you see someone with a blood disorder how can you see someone who has cancer I mean, how can you see muscle pain or anything like that? You just can't. Yeah, and you can't make assumptions on. really until until you just ask people. Mm-hmm. So we're going to take a break. This is the disability and sexuality episode. Find our guest, Catherine Harlow, on Instagram at the Park Avenue Pinup. And her website is theparkavenuepinup.com. Nobody likes sleeping in the wet spot. That's why I love using the lair. It's at gettheLair.com. That's get the L-A-Y-E-R. Use code L, that's my name, in all caps for 10% off. There's an extra large lair now. A portion of the proceeds go to the Trevor Project. And this is a women-owned company. So if you are kinky, messy, don't like getting period stains on things, or don't like sleeping in the wet spot, get thelair.com. All right, cool. So we are speaking with our guest, Catherine Harlow. This is the Disability and Sexuality episode. Hi, I'm your host, Elle Stanger. I am an ASEX certified sex educator and longtime adult entertainer and sex worker. 
Um, find me on lstanger.com. Reminds me I should update my website. Uh, find my porn mm-hmm. on camsoda.com, camsoda.com forward slash stripper writer. And I'm on Instagram still at stripper writer. What you were just talking about advocating for yourself. That brings me to our listener questions portion. Mm. All right. So. Listener question one, what kinds of opposition to your disabilities do you encounter? <laughs> How much time do we have? Ah! <laughs> God. Well, I know you said that some folks have accused you of lying about what you experience. And that's I think that very unfair. Anyone, anyone in the disabled community who is open and outward about being disabled, especially without shame and being proud of being disabled is usually targeted with those kinds of accusations. And it just stems from ignorance, unfortunately. Mm. We, as a society, sort of understand disability as mobility aid-centric. And we don't always consider sick people to also be disabled. And this is like a nuance in the disability community of um, people who have impairments that impact their life, obviously, and Mm. people who are actively sick or ill in a way that they're suffering. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's like the difference between, for example, bringing it back to myself, I'm autistic, but that's just how my brain works, and I don't suffer from it. I just have a different <laughs> point of view, mm-hmm. and it's part of who I am. But with endometriosis, I'm actively sick. I'm actively having symptoms that are unpleasant and debilitating, and that's something I would like relief from if it ever becomes a possibility. Mm-hmm. Very well spoken. Uh, so, and then, yes, and then doctors, doctors. So on the break, we were chatting a little bit about, um, the pressure to advocate for yourself, which I'm sure invisibly disabled people are very intimately familiar with this. Um, unfortunately, there are a lot of doctors who don't keep up with research, um, And I think people whose disabilities are contrary to capitalism have a really hard time getting empathy and diagnoses and care and things like that. I think people who have like sleep disorders and energy disorders suffer the most because other people are like, oh, I'm tired too. And it's like, yeah, but Mm -hmm. it's like in a really profound way that like sleep doesn't touch and that like medication could probably help with and things like that so Mm. when you're advocating for yourself um, the pressure to be extremely well researched is really present because when you're interviewing doctors which is kind of like dating right because you have to (laughs) screening yeah yeah you have to go through a few doctors and weed out people who give you a lot of red flags and stuff and so With endometriosis, I'm at the point in my research where I can go on a visit with a doctor and listen. And if they bring up anything like a hysterectomy, I can just be like, yeah, this person doesn't know what they're talking about. Wow. 
Because a hysterectomy would be removing your uterus, and it's like, but if the skin cells are all over the body. Right. Like with adenomyosis, which is sort of like a similar illness, it has that mystery tissue that's sort of like the lining of the uterus, but it's something different. It's still a mystery to us. Like it does bleed with your menstrual cycle, the tissue, which is why people take birth control it doesn't it's not a cure but it's definitely a treatment mm, but so that you're not re- experiencing like internal bleeding yeah, <laughs> regularly right. yeah but it but the tissue can create its own blood supply its own hormone supply it expresses its own estrogen so when people have adenomyosis that kind of tissue grows on the outside of the uterus right so if that person were to get a hysterectomy, it would be a cure mm. because the tissue wouldn't be able to recur. Mm. But with endometriosis, when it's growing in on your spleen, taking out your uterus is not going to right. do anything helpful. So it's really like the proper excision of all of that tissue, which is really complex surgery. Wow. Um, I can tell you have uh, definitely had plenty of these conversations before. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That brings me actually to listener question two. How can partners of people with this specifically asks mobility disabilities be helpful? Um, mm-hmm. I think this is a great question. Um, before I was in like a really healthy, loving relationship. Um, I was like, you know, dating a bunch of fuckboys, like people, as one some does. people who date men are. <laughs> yeah. <someday. laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I, um, I have a really loving partner now, and it was really unfathomable to me before that I could ever ask my partner to come with me on doctor's appointments and mm-hmm. ask the doctor their own questions being able to have a partner who you can send them articles or information and know that they're actually going to read it and take it in and talk to you about it. Mm. I think it's just like the initiative to care, obviously, and to also want to know. It's so hot. (laughs) (laughs) And to also want to know what they can do to help you. And that sort of touches on um, like BDSM and kink relationships, right? Because mm-hmm. something I really struggled with as a disabled person was that I ne- I've always needed a caretaker. And mm-hmm. men have always accused me of, like, having expectations that were, like, too high or, like, unreasonable or whatever. <laughs> and you really just need to find a person who wants to do that, which they exist. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was re- I remember, this is a little bit off tangent, but I was talking to you after a breakup that I had. Mm. And I was really torn up about it. And you said to me, there will be other people who want to take care of you. Mm. And that made a really big difference to me because I was operating from such a scarcity mindset of this is never going to happen again. And that's just not the truth, especially if you're upfront about what you're looking for. So my partner is my caretaker. He personally wants to feel needed and counted on and relied on that's what gives him the feelings that he's looking for out of kink Mm. and so he is perfectly happy to like cook for me and serve me in bed and do my laundry and all this kind of stuff he comes to my burlesque shows and he'll carry my luggage and help me get dressed and all this kind of stuff so 
I think that like kink and queerness has this beautiful way of really welcoming disabled people into the community because the things that you wanted or needed were never unreasonable mm. in the first place to begin mm. with. Ah, that's beautiful. So more specifically, listener question three, are there any items, tools, accommodations? I um, took a class with someone named Ava who was on Instagram as Cripping Up Sex. Mm -hmm. And they gave a like wide variety of like tools and resources for people who experience pain during sex or have trouble like orienting themselves, like mobility issues with sort of being in different positions and things like that um and it's really just about being resourceful and being open to trying things that are unconventional but helpful Mm. so for people with endometriosis there's this great sex toy that uh was recently invented called the o-nut o-h-n-u-t and it's basically um tiny uh not tiny but they're like short rings that can go around the base of a penis or oh yeah i've seen those Mm -hmm. yeah and so you can stack them and the purpose is to mitigate the amount of penetration Mm -hmm. so if you're only comfortable with a little bit of penetration you can stack lots of the rings Mm -hmm. or you know you can just modulate it however you need Mm -hmm. i've also had experience with using a pillow under the small of the back Mm. Uh, with pain with sex it sort of orients the uh like pelvic muscles in the vagina in a way that the penetration is not as painful Mm. and you know if your doctor's not comfortable like talking about sex proper you can just bring up specific symptoms that you have trouble with so you know, sometimes I deal with a lot of nausea with penetration. I take mm. something called Zofran, which is a medication for nausea. Mm-hmm. And then there's sort of more herbal remedies like uh, peppermint and ginger uh, are great for say. nausea. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then you can go into the world of topicals. Um, there's the OG Tiger Bomb, mm. which you can put on and it's a little bit um, tingly. Mm-hmm. And the... The thinking is that your your nerves can't really feel two separate sensations at the same time. <laughs> Distract. So the yeah, so it sort of distracts your nerves from being in pain. The same mm-hmm. thing with icy hot. Uh, it also goes by biofreeze. Mm. And yeah, CBD, cannabis, topicals, um, lubes, and I think that toys are a great resource because sometimes like the force behind penetration can be really difficult for people Mm. there's this great sex educator i forget their name but their handle on instagram is uh what's my body doing oh yeah and Hmm. i saw a graphic by them where in the middle of the graphic there's a circle and inside the circle is society's definition of sex so it's sort of like penis and vagina, penis and anus, fellatio. Eva Bloom. Like yes. They, and then she. outside of the graphic, which is, again, where the queerness and the kink comes into the disability, it's like sexing is considered sex. You know, role mm. play, making out, um, kink, like suspension, tying people. 
um, using toys on people, sensory play, mutual masturbation, all that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. is sex. Mm -hmm. You don't have to have sex that you don't enjoy just for it to quote unquote count (laughs) to to whoever is judging (laughs) Mm -hmm. that. Absolutely. And I mean, I'm on a sexting app where people literally pay to sex with me and like, I know they're getting off. Like, yeah. So yeah, right. Yeah. (laughs) Great. Which one do you use? Sext Panther. Me too. Yeah. (laughs) I like the weird ones I get once in a while. I got a session across to um, like hunt a man with a Nerf gun. (laughs) And so I went to go screen him because I was really excited to do the session and he got nervous and he backed out. I was always bummed out about that. (laughs) Oh, buddy. I hope he hears this. Maybe he just didn't feel safe enough. He like wants to feel afraid, but not that afraid. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to live out my like glamorous assassin fantasies. <laughs> oh my goodness! I'm primarily a financial dominatrix, but I do a lot of different kinds of play, like feminization, chastity, wow. denial, all that kind of stuff. So many things, so many options. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm on there just because I, you know, it helps to self promote. I'm on there, sexpanther.com forward slash l. O L like my name and then O H and then my name again because I think I'm funny but <laughs> uh okay so wow that's great so you listed some items tools accommodations toys products that assist you with being sexually intimate thank you mm-hmm. yeah, um yeah so your question four and we've talked about this a lot how do you relate your sexuality and your disability or health statuses? How do you relate to your sexuality and your disability or health statuses? I feel like I kind of sexualize them. (laughs) (laughs) Which, now that I'm thinking of it, that is what I do because I don't want to feel overly medicalized. um, Fun. Because it's not sexy and uh, it's really stressful and it can be traumatic. So a lot of my kinks like naturally revolve around my disabilities, which... I'm not sure if I planned that or if it just worked out that way, but that's a great coping strategy. Yeah. Oh I like God. being a little, which is like someone who enjoys uh, caretaking and being taken care of. Mm-hmm. Um, I like being like a doll, which like, you know, I'm a high femme, so I love dressing up and everything. But also there's that implication that dolls are like delicate and you have to take good care of them and all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. So Don't mess up their dress. Yeah, and then, you know, my friends, my friends make comments that, like, make me feel very seen, so it's, it's more than Like what? This, um, like, my friends, like, like, roll my joints for me and stuff. Oh. Or they'll, like, hold my hand when I'm having trouble, like, walking and I forgot to bring my cane. Oh. And it's, like, something that's not sexual that relates so deeply to, like, how I want to feel in kink and also coincides with my actual symptoms that just make me feel like people see and appreciate me as a whole person. Mm. That my disability is not a deficit. It just, you know, I have different needs and I have different like desires because of it, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That totally makes sense. Um, yeah. I love that. I think I sexualize <laughs> them. That's, I love that so much. <laughs> I yeah I'm just being honest yeah no that's great you're in the right place uh and like seriously I encourage people to to consider what it looks like to sexualize any aspect of your life um in healthy ways because that's what you're doing this is all very healthy you're in control like 
on the opposite of someone with an energy deficit, like someone who has a lot of energy, I could mm-hmm. totally see them being like a puppy sub or something mm-hmm. where like their owner comes home, they play a lot of games, they have That's a lot neat. of toys, and then hopefully they take a little nap after. Oh my you know? God. Oh my gosh. That's totally me. Yeah. I'm always yeah, like asking so boyfriend, I'm like, can you pet my head? And then he'll oh. like, will. And then I'll like wag. Oh, it's not even. Oh man, I'm gonna have to point this out to him. I'll be like, That's you know, really cute. you know, we're doing this right, yeah. And um, there's so people. much like awesome gear that comes with it, which is also fun. <laughs> part. It's like playing dress up as a grown up. You love the dress up. I do. It's fun to witness. I don't participate, mm-hmm. obviously. Like I, I could never high fem it. I'm bad in long nails, but like you, you. I don't think everybody wants to. I think it's a really specific want. Right. But it's nice when people have the space to do it. Right. So, last question before we take another break: What would you like to see change regarding disability and sex? Big mm-hmm. question. I think that there's still a long way to go for people to acknowledge that disabled people are sexual beings. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Someone who speaks about this a lot is um, Andrew Gerza. Mm-hmm. He's a sex and disability consultant who also has a podcast called Disability After Dark, which is great. Mm. And um, he talks about that a lot where it's either like we're infantilized or we're fetishized and it's really just seeing the person as a person uh, mm-hmm. and taking their lead when it comes to their disability, mm-hmm. accommodating them in ways that are comfortable for them and, you know, using the kind of language they use for themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but we still we still have a, a long way to go. And I think that, you know, one in five people in the United States are disabled. And I think it's likely wow. a lot more because people don't know that, like, chronic pain is a disability and like mm-hmm. chronic migraines are a disability I think that because of capitalism people are used to just like suffering or being tired all the time or like mm-hmm. being in pain but mm-hmm. it comes to a point where if it gets in the way of your personal life especially doing things that you want to do is probably when you might want to think about about how you identify and uh, what kind of symptoms and limitations totally. that you're dealing with Mm-hmm. Great. Thank you. We're going to take a break. This is the disability and sexuality episode. I wanted to do a disability episode uh, in the first couple of seasons. It was really hard to get a hold of a guest because uh, would you believe it that a lot of people who speak on these things all the time are tired or busy or they yeah. need like technology accommodations that I can't make because I suck at mm-hmm. technology. <laughs> Me too. I was honestly going to do this interview on my phone, but I, and I downloaded Chrome and everything, but I was like, I gotta just use the big desktop. (laughs) Here we are, but we figured it out. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, all right. So go find Catherine at the Park Avenue pinup. Her website is the same.com. Find me on Twitter at L Stanger. I'm very deeply shadow banned. So with the algorithm, if people leave um, comments like regularly on your on your content, oh. they should be able to see your your content more often. Yeah, comment regularly. Thank you. Good reminder. <laughs> yeah. Share, uh, rate, and review this podcast on your listening app. I want that five stars again on Apple Podcasts. Mm. <laughs> you deserve it. Thank you. Thank you.
Hey, it's Elle here with a spicy secret. You have so many options for your relationship structure. Best-selling author, New York Times, and NPR contributor Dr. Jolie Hamilton is the expert who helps people custom design relationships to get more out of what they want. If you're curious whether you or your partner are ready to open your relationship, grab the only research-backed open relationship quiz from Dr. Jolie Hamilton. Your results are free when you go to joliequiz.com. Welcome back to the Talk Sex Podcast. You're listening on Spotify or Apple or perhaps somewhere else, but please rate or review this podcast if you like it so more people can find it uh, because our guest Catherine Harlow is sharing a ton of resources about disability and sexuality. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you can find her at the Park Avenue Pinup and theparkavenuepinup.com. So I'm looking at an article the title is In the Culture Wars Against Sex Ed, Disabled LGBTQ2S Plus Youth Are Getting Left Behind. So in here, at one different part of the article, it says, statistically, queer and trans people are actually more likely to be disabled than the general population, which has a baseline disability rate of about 26% in the U.S., according to the CDC. You said 20% earlier, but you said you, you believe it was quite a bit more. Yeah, and that's also because of long COVID. We have all these um, previously mm. abled people who have who have long COVID. Now I think it's about one in 10 people develop long COVID. So wow. uh, it's more important now than ever um, for like newly disabled people to know like how welcome they are and mm. um, how much we'll try to help them, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the article continues, by contrast, 39% of trans people and 33% of lesbians and bisexual women, uh, according to the CDC, for example, self-report a disability, making it especially critical that disabled people receive inclusive instruction. Mm -hmm. There's definitely a correlation between uh, like trauma and disability. I don't really know the mechanism or how it happens, but... Um, People who have traumatic, uh, like early formative lives, uh, they're more likely to have a chronic illness or a disability going mm -hmm. forward in adulthood. Mm -hmm. I mean, I definitely believe it. It just it wears your body down to be on high alert all the time. So you're running mm -hmm. like your your digestion's all fucked up. Your sleep yeah. is all fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> Any no, noise? It's really hard. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you get that. Yeah, I mean, definitely. queer queer people don't really get any kind of sex ed at all. And, mm. you know, for trans people, someone who just passed who was really important was uh, mm. Mira, Mira Bellwether of mm. um, fucking trans women, which for me is a dominatrix. I play with a lot of trans people, so that that was a great resource. It still is a great resource. You should definitely pay mm. for it and, and uh, check it out in, in Mira's mm -hmm. honor. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Mirabelle Weather, definitely. I'll put that in the notes. Yeah, I learned a lot about that zine, too. And it's she said she was going to work on a second one. She also was interested in coming on this show. We oh, messaged no. about it. Rest I know. in power. Rest in power. Yeah, I would have loved to have talked to her, but we learned a lot um, from her work. Yeah. yeah. And I believe so by the zine fucking trans women from her website. Uh, because her partners have set it up so the money still goes to, I think it's either a cause she cared about 
I should look this up, but um, yeah, buy it directly from the website mm-hmm. if you can. So for you, Catherine, as we wrap up this episode, do you foresee any challenges to sharing openly about this topic? Because you're a person on the internet, mm-hmm. so sometimes people who exist publicly, we right. are I mean, I'm a targets. woman. I'm a I'm a queer, very femme, loud, opinionated woman on the internet. Mm-hmm. Um, despite the fact that I'm like pretty reserved in person, but I think I just I care a lot about a, n- a number of um, topics, mm-hmm. and um, I think any person who's disabled and open about it is going to deal with accusations of being an illness faker of anything else and. Like I said, it comes from ignorance and it comes from the fact that people are also suffering and not giving themselves the grace or even having the language to explain that they are also suffering and how. Mm. Um, But it is hard, even just like, you know, burlesque is not sex work. um, I'm glad you say that. Yes. Yeah, it's not. Um, It's something that you can have a corporate job and tell people and they're like, oh, that's so interesting. How fabulous. Spicy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, even like uh, hinting to my sex work projects on Instagram is uh, puts me in a really precarious uh, Mm. situation. And Mm. also I like have an inkling that my first account was taken down because I was writing a lot about sex and disability and Mm. like vaginal health pelvic floor health menstrual health I mean a lot of people who have periods don't even know what a period is supposed to feel like because the chronic pain has been so normalized Mm. Uh, I still think it's an it's still important to talk about that stuff which is why I still do Um, I've just done a lot of work in therapy about not taking on people's projections um Mm. Just hard work, but it's uh, it's really helpful and it's worth it when um, you know, people message me and say I got excision surgery or you know you gave me the language and gave myself you gave me the permission to call myself disabled. I mean that's really like magical, honestly, and mm. I'm like really grateful to be able to help people instead of you know people having to go through this whole experience and process alone by themselves, mm. you know. Mm-hmm. And to that, you've already listed so many, but do you have any books or resources, websites you want to recommend one more time for mm-hmm. people who want to support disability rights or just become more literate? Let me give it some thought. I mean, there are some thinkers in the disability community who are really worth um, reading their work. Um, someone named Mia Mingus is an oh, Asian yeah. American activist who theorizes rights and talks about disability. I also love uh, Walela Nehanda, who is a non-binary black um, chemotherapy and uh, chemotherapy survivor, cancer survivor, mm-hmm. and they talk a lot about the intersections of like disability and race and disability and class because there's a a big overlap with those two. Mm. Can um, you? What was their name or their handle? So their name is Walela Nehanda, and the mm. at is It's Walela, and the name is spelled W-A-L-E-L-A. Thank you. Um, you'll find a lot of great 
resources for disability on social media, especially because the knowledge of doctors and the knowledge of like patients and people living with disability, they're so far away from each other. Everything mm. I've learned has been from patients and activists and other disabled people who are like doing this work on the ground with disabled people and newly disabled people which is like really important work damn that's disappointing to hear but i believe it and it's not surprising that the gap is very large between what the paid uh experts know i mean it's hard because like the medical industrial complex is so Mm -hmm. capitalist and to look Mm -hmm. at things from like a disability justice lens would require them to Mm, move slower charge less a lot of yeah Mm. (laughs) a lot of their practices already right 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 all right so thank you so much i ask every guest this do you have any sex tips for our audience i do i would say to just talk about things that feel embarrassing anyway (laughs) the person you know, if they're like really caring and attentive and you've gotten to know them, they're not going to judge you or think differently or think less of you. Um, I think the only way to have great sex is to have great communication and be willing to try new things mm. and, um, yeah, to just be open about it. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Thank you so much for a really good time and a lot of useful information. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm really happy to be here. And this was the Disability Mm -hmm. and Sexuality episode. Our guest, Catherine Harlow. Find me, uh, your host, Elle Stanger, at StripperWriter on Instagram. Find my patreon.com forward slash strange bedfellows. I post uh, boobs and bush and strip club behind the scenes there quite (laughs) a bit lately. And more poodle. Just see poodle. Yeah. That's fun. All right. Okay. Until next time. Yeah.